And we are back. Three or four weeks later uh, since our last podcast. For that, I do apologize. Hope you guys are having a great hunting season so far. But today we have Phil Conkey back on the podcast. If you guys don't know who he is, he's a badass duck hunter. Um, but what he's really known for in the industry is his waterfowl photography. So give him a follow on Instagram at Phil Conkey. Check it out. It's going to just get you all sorts of pumped up on duck hunting. And then, uh, so what we do is we just kind of hang out. We discuss uh, the beginning part of his season compared to like the second half of the season, um, what his experiences were like there. We discuss his new boat, how that's performing. We talk about his elk hunt uh, earlier in the year. We go on some rants about what drives us nuts in the industry and just generally just kind of hang out, have a great time. Typical of the Average Waterfowlers podcast. Hope you guys enjoy it. It's a little long, two hours, but if you're in the truck driving to your duck hole, should keep you pretty entertained. You can find it on uh, iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher right now. I'm gonna work on getting it on some other sources for other folks out there. Let us know what you think. Hope you guys enjoy it. Look forward to hearing from you guys soon. Building a, um, a hitch for my fish house. Oh yeah? You're always working so, on some damn thing whenever I give you a call. I got something going on, it seems like. Yeah. I can never, I can never just chill out. Yeah. So. I'm the same way. I've got like 30 freaking hobbies, man. Whether it's like mm-hmm. slinging arrows, photography, you know, the gym. Duck, hunt, duck hunting, fishing. Duck hunting, fishing, bear hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting. There's always something. Wow. Look at that and... Music and trying. I try to read, and I can't. I don't ever even read anymore because I got a billion other things going. Yeah. Daydreaming about duck boats and ducks. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, daydreaming about ducks is about all I'm doing, man. It's uh, it's been a rough season for us. A real rough season. I've killed three birds this year. Uh, you you guys are what like a month into the season? Yeah, man. Well, you're doing, but I'm literally five. I think it was five weeks in the season, four weeks in the season before I killed a bird. Really? Just hit horrendous. God. I was driving like 50, 60, 70 miles scouting the first month, like all of October. Mm-hmm. And I went to see a duck. That's in South Dakota. Everybody thinks South Dakota is like this mecca. Yeah. It wasn't. Now we don't have water and it's 75 degrees. So, it was bad. It's- and I, wasn't, I wasn't going quite up north like where people typically go up. They come here. Mm-hmm. But, ugh, it was brutal. We haven't had water, and it's been warm. And then when we did get water, that big-ass cold front came through and just froze everything up. And so... Yeah, he got the worst of everything. Dude, and that bird just skipped over, like, Venice, Louisiana, South Texas, that whole coastal range right there with Marsh. Yep. Apparently they're just absolutely killing them right now. Like See, we were talking about going to Louisiana. One of my buddies was looking at the was it the Atchafalaya Swamp or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where it is, but he um, that must be Lagunitas. Yep, Lagunitas. Yeah, IPA. It just felt my label a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, that's good stuff. Uh. Um. 
we were because we were looking at Arkansas like, oh, it's pretty dry. And then we're like, well, shit, well, it sounds like Louisiana's got way more birds than Arkansas does. So, yeah. I and they mean, don't get the out-of-state pressure nearly like Arkansas. So, well, I mean, Louisiana historically isn't in the past. And I'm getting this information. I was I listened to On the X podcast. Uh, the dudes from Duck South do that, and they're like a Central Flyway focused podcast. Yeah. And uh, you know, apparently Louisiana the past ten years hasn't been that great. You know, they always kill gadwalls and teal, but apparently yeah. they're. It's been bad. Yeah, but I mean, apparently right now they are just packed full of pintails, gadwall, teal, and canvasbacks. Like, uh, like if, I, that's a long ass drive for me. Yeah, man. About it, and and we we're talking and kind of poking around with it, texting between a few of us back and forth, and then somebody goes, "Ooh, eighteen hour drive." Like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, we can get to like northeast arkansas on 12 yeah to haul your ass all the way down there especially if you're bringing boats yeah boats is a killer it yeah. just doubles your gas but it probably 50 percent more yeah i mean plus trailers and caleb i don't know what he was i mean he he was acting off of the information that he had and he planned this trip out but i mean he's in oklahoma right now the dude lives in louisiana and drove to oklahoma I ain't too bad though. That's probably what six hours. He drove from Atlanta because he. Um, That's a hike, then. He, uh, yeah, we were at my parents' house for Christmas. They live in Atlanta, so he drove from Atlanta. They stopped at our our place in Mississippi, picked up some gear, and then kept on poking over to Oklahoma. Um, Was he hunting with someone? Yeah, him and Scott. Scott's the other guy that hunts in our group. And I was going to go, but I had something pop up for work, and um, I just wasn't sure if I could, like, I just wasn't sure if I could, like, make it work. And I probably could have now that things have played out, but, I mean, they're really not killing them that well in Oklahoma. Yesterday, they shot a limit, and then today, I think they only killed three or four. Oh, really? They're just hunting, like, public or what? Yeah, they're hunting all public. Oh, really? Yeah. shit. You know, that's the kind of like when we were at the Oklahoma four or five years ago, we got there. It was like freaking the 80 degrees, mm-hmm. super windy. Like our first day, we killed a few. Second day was good. Third day, good. And then fourth day, we didn't even pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. So I was figured, if, like, if I had like a three day hunt, you kill, have two great, two good days, you're doing like, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Especially on something like that where you just show up and you don't really know what's going on. Right. You're just kind of getting there and hoping it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it plays out for them. So they're like duck hunting in the mornings, quail hunting in the afternoons. So oh, keep them busy at least. Yeah, they're keeping busy. I don't know if they shot a quail or not, but uh, <laughs> they're trying at least. So, Getting their exercise. Yeah. I'm headed to Mississippi tomorrow, which might just be completely pointless. I don't know. I just, it's going to be warm. It's going to be like in the upper 50s. I know that there's not a lot of mallards in the area. Um, some some gadwalls, maybe. I how don't know. Far, how far are you from Missouri? I would go to Missouri. I just don't have anybody to go with me to Missouri, and like I don't want to really do that whole thing by myself. Yeah, it's kind know? of something going. Like, it's. I just talked to a dude who said they're loaded. No, uh, packed. It's full. mostly northern. 
Yeah. So Northern is absolutely packed, but like the middle and the South aren't exactly packed. They said there's some. That's uh, that's kind of the word on the street right now is that all the mallards are just packed up in like that South Missouri. I mean, I'm sorry, that North Missouri kind of boot hill region, and then um, the uh, Illinois right there. You know, yeah. I've got some buddies in Illinois. I should almost call them. See if I could pop up to Illinois for the week. I might do that. I don't know. We'll see. Going the right direction then, at least. Yeah. I've got a uh, a wood duck hole behind my house here in Tennessee that I've been kind of saving. So I'm going to go shoot that up tomorrow morning. And then I know that it's just packed full. And then I'm going to come back here, pack my truck up, and I'm going to go somewhere. If I can get a hold of somebody that's – the thing is everybody got, everybody's got jobs, right? So, yeah, so you can't like, take off on a whim. Yeah, it's like getting people to hunt in the, during the week. I'm flex, like I'm lucky in the sense that right now, like I can pretty much do whatever I want whenever I want, and um, as long as I don't have like anything pressing, you know. Yeah. Sneak but, out and go for a few days, and that's the ticket. Yeah, that's a buddy like that too. He's just he works for himself as a salesman. He can basically just go. Yeah. If I just, hey, I'm off Tuesday, Wednesday next week. What do you want to do? Yeah, I'll come out and hunt. Here he is. Yep. Doesn't even have to think about it. That's that's my situation. As long as I have access to email and phone. Yeah. I'm good. I can. Yeah. It's exactly what he is too. Yeah. He just has to get the ticket from his wife. <laughs> well, luck, luckily, I don't have a wife quite yet. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and she, my, my fiance knows the deal. She's like. She knows that between pretty much September and to the end of January, it's like I'm gone, and yeah. then you know March fly fishing. I'm oh yeah, gone. Yeah. So I'm got the same thing going. I'm not married, but basically, basically <laughs> am. But, but you know, she's cool about that. Like I've never even had an issue. So you gotta you got to set the precedent early. That's exactly, that's exactly it. People, guys get pushed around and, you know, they're going on, on like their second date during hunting season and they're like, oh, well, don't you want to go on a date? Well, I'm going hunting in the morning. Well, can't you sail till two? Well, I guess. Well, now you're screwed. Yep. You're, you're super screwed. screwed. You I just say, you know what? Here's the deal. It's hunting season. I'm not going to be able to do it for now. Yep. Got to do it. <sighs> so I'm, I've got this recording, but, um. Welcome to the Average Waterfowlers podcast. This is Phil Conkey, the second time we've had him on the uh, on the podcast, and and you are very well received. We've got a lot of positive messages about um, that podcast, and 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 people loved it. And I think it's one of my favorite of all time. Um, but yeah, man. So just uh, wanted to kind of catch up with you and. I know I've been staying in touch with you pretty frequently uh, since the last one, but I wanted to just kind of help uh, tell everybody about how your season's been going because you've had some pretty epic hunts. We did. You know, our season, this was like the the uh, tale of two seasons for us here, at least in the southern part of South Dakota, probably the whole state for the most part. We were, as we were talking, it was incredibly dry 
Oh man, well, all summer for us and a lot of our, like all of our little seasonal wetlands, all our, our little like shallow water marsh type stuff was pretty much bone dry. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, we actually lost a lot of birds, I think over the summer and probably didn't have that many nests here in the first place. So we missed a ton of ducks and season finally rolls around in September. And I was kind of right in the, the middle of building a duck blind on my boat. And that took me about two months. So I really didn't have a ton of time that first part of the season, but I tried to get out and scout a bit and just listen to everybody. I know, man, it was like horrendous. I think I went scouting three or four times. We put on like 50 to 75 miles, make a big loop. And there was days I didn't even see a single duck. Really? You know, this, this is in South Dakota, the, the duck mecca that everybody thinks of. And it was just, it was horrendous. And, and all of a sudden, like that end of, end of October, right after I finished my blind, I think around the 20th of October is when I finished it. Right after that, we got a couple little uh, north winds, no major cold fronts, just, just that time of year and some north winds. We had a few ducks push in, went out, and basically from November on, we were we were having good hunts, but just off of small numbers of birds, and we were only seeing, man, maybe two to two to five hundred birds in a day, mm-hmm. and scratching out greenhead limit or or real close to with three guys or two guys, and. Typically, that time of year, you're starting to see, you know, in the thousands of ducks on most of our places that we're hunting. So it was it was ultra frustrating for October. I didn't. It was I basically like just felt like I was punting on the whole duck season. Just like we weren't even going to do it, and here I go and spend all this time building this stupid duck boat, and I don't even have a duck to chase. So the north winds helped, and then really once November hit, mid November hit, we started to have some ducks to hunt. But even then, we never saw the major migration like everybody like we would expect it a few times we got passed over a bunch of times seems like we always get hit with the snow when it's not snow north of us and we get hit with snow and cold north winds and boom everything ends up in missouri or arkansas or kansas or whatever right so yeah we had some really good hunts i mean man like a bunch of just like really cool ones out on the marsh. I had a cool three day vacation out in Western South Dakota. Just went by myself, um, hunted a little area. It's luckily not too well known, pretty fair amount of birds on that. And basically got to pick and choose my uh, greenheads one at a time nice. for that deal. Um, that was fun. That was kind of the first real test of my boat. So that was, that was cool. I dug that. And then we kind of, we hunted our, hunted in the river, our river spots a few times. Um, did pretty well. Nothing crazy. I mean, it was one of those deals where if you based your hunts on how many ducks you saw, you'd say it was miserable, but yet what we saw was very responsive. Mm-hmm. So we shot them. It just wasn't, we weren't seeing a lot of ducks. So we were having hunts till like 11 and noon. We'd shoot our 10 or 15 greenheads and be done around that. And which was cool. Yeah. That's about the perfect time for me. And then that, I think probably my best one of the year was just maybe two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, some two, probably two weeks ago. Uh, we had our second huge cold front come through, and this was, and we had 25 degree below temps for a, a day or two, and then like 10 below for a couple of days. So basically, everywhere that I normally would hunt was, you know, people were ice fishing on it. It was four to six inches ice. So we slid up uh, up to a different spot and kind of a cool area where there's a little more current on a river and some big banks, and we slid my boat into a uh, up against the bank on, during a snor- snowstorm 
And essentially, we were, I mean, invisible. You could walk 50 yards away and you couldn't even see the boat yourself, knowing it was there. It was just like, just blended in. And I think we had three three really big wads of mallards just kind of land basically at the front of the boat. Um, so we killed our 10 greenheads, I think a hen. So nine greenheads, a hen, mallard. Then we had, uh, we each killed our four geese. And then, like, we shot other ducks, too, like a Drake Greenwing and a Drake Goldeneye or something like that. And just it was awesome. Like, everything just super responsive to the call. Came in as good as I could. Couldn't imagine. I mean, like, just the fact that there was, like, no cover in front of us. And here's the boat just sitting there against this bank. And just here they're landing 15 feet in front of your boat. You're just waiting for a second. You're waiting for them to flare any second, and they don't. You're like, oh, all right, let's take them, I guess. (laughs) That was that was cool. That was kind of that was kind of the end of my season. I've hunted twice since then. Had one good hunt and one really poor hunt after that. Um, but really, as of yesterday, was the last day I could hunt those areas. Mm-hmm. Our our duck and our goose season still go for another month. Or actually, our duck season goes for three weeks in the western part of the state, mm-hmm. and then our goose season goes into mid February. So, with having um, our duck season open, it, it's out on the big reservoirs. I mean, you're hunting the ocean, you know, you throw your little 100 decoys out and you kind of feel like a little speck, mm-hmm. feel silly out there. And it's one of those deals, the ducks just, you might be, you might be two miles away from 50,000 ducks and you never know it because they just sit there all day. Right. So, I don't get into that too much. I like being in the marsh, being where you're hidden, that kind of deal. So the the big reservoir thing isn't really my deal as much. So it's right. nice season now for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember when you had that, uh, that last that last good hunt, you called me up and I we were texting back and forth. You're like, dude, call me, and you told me that story. You were so fired up. You were like, dude, we weren't even we were thinking we weren't even gonna go. Oh yeah, and, we contemplated. I'm like, ah, should we even try it? One of my buddies had said he'd seen some ducks there three or four days beforehand. I'm like, oh great, they probably got blasted out of there. Luckily, it's just far enough away that nobody really gets up in there. Kind of a hidden little spot, and it was a good deal. One of them things where it seems like that's always how it works. If, if you don't expect it to be good, it turns out to be good. The days you think it's going to be phenomenal, you go and you're always let down. So we were, we were happy, happily, happily uh, wrong on that one. So. How have you liked the boat so far with the high-low? Man, I I would never go back to a fold-up, ever. I couldn't do it. Really? Yeah. It is, and all my buddies, a couple of my buddies, two, two three or four of them that hunt out of it, that have hunted out that have fold-up fabric ones, they're all like, I can't do it. My one buddy who hunted with me, he hunts with me almost every day. He's like, he just, he says, he goes, he get, feels like the Tasmanian devil when he's in his boat because he feels like he's setting stuff up constantly and putting pins in. He's just going crazy, like, ah, just, just constantly pissed off dealing with it and having to set things up and strap this and strap that. You know, or, I mean, one of the huge conveniences besides being out of the wind and having heat and having shelves and all that is, you just pull in your spot and you hunt. Right. You know, like, I have to. I don't have to set things up. I'm not yanking stuff up and putting a pin, pulling a strap up, doing this and doing that. Um, you're not having to cut grass. It's just already grassed up. You don't deal with it. I mean, there was a day, one of those days when I was out west. I don't think I know I didn't get on my boat till like nine o'clock in the morning, and I killed my greenheads, mm. put decoys out, killed my greenheads, did everything. I never got on my boat until nine o'clock when I was gonna go take some more pictures, and I had to move a few decoys. Really. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the dog is in and out without getting out. You just stay dry. You just it's just so much easier. Yeah, you know, and they don't. I, they probably don't work for everywhere. I mean, obviously, they would not work in the woods at all. I mean, it'd be a disaster. Mm-hmm. 
ain't any rather than that. We hunted spots with it where like we literally had like we set our our boat on cattails, not in cattails, like on cattails where it was just a little pocket of them around us, and we were just the boat out next to on some cattails on an edge of the lake, and we had big wads of mallards finishing close, and I, you just like it's not you think it's not going to work. You just expect every time a hundred yards just going to poof be gone, and, and they keep getting closer and closer, and oh man, how does this work? And <laughs> we're just big enough, and it's poofing it off and doesn't have the edges and doesn't have a box look to it so much. Yeah. So they're comfortable with it. I don't know. I'm surprised that that brush is staying on there when you're driving around, like trailer in the boat. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause I mean, I've put God, man, I put thousands of miles on it this year already. Mm-hmm. What, what I did with mine is, so I've got, I took, I ordered, I ordered like fast graph off of eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, and take that and I faced it out so the good side is out and up and then I took some like garden fencing and laid it over the top of it from the front side mm-hmm. and then I pinned that to my boat attached it that way and I spent like a day poofing all the grass pulling it through that fencing you know so it looks like that well then I took then the key is here in South Dakota where we've got tumbleweeds everywhere mm-hmm. and if you've ever seen I mean the stuff rolling across roads like you'd seen cartoons or in the old westerns we have that all over the place so you go find that and you're taking it's jamming it underneath that fence and you, I, I, I put it right with the wind knowing it's going to bend over that way so it doesn't break them uh-huh. and the socks, they're super tough and so you just get them like that and it's you get them up in there underneath that fence and you get so a few of the branches kind of hook back into that fence mm-hmm. i lost a few i think i middle of the season i went and got like half dozen more tumbleweeds broke them up a little bit and stuck them in some of the key spots and so I'm just getting mashed down, and we had a snowstorm a couple of days where my, we were hunting, and like big wet, heavy snow was on the boat, and it kind of pushes it down. Sure. So it does lose a little bit of that 3D effect. By where we end up, and sitting a little bit, and setting our cooler, and you're gone now. Like, I think it mashed down, so I put some new stuff there. But really, other than that, the stuff is phenomenal. And I used to look at one of the places I hunt, those boats, they're not uncommon. Not everybody has them, but they're there, there's a fair amount of them around like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to think, man, how do they hide those things? And what a joke. They look all puffy and stupid. And I always tried to go small, small, small. And and then finally hunted there. I, I hunted uh, with some guys who had one last year or hunted out of them quite a bit. And they said, just they just work. Yeah. So you'd, you'd think they don't work. You'd think it's a hassle, but it's just that tumbleweed just adds enough of a 3D effect to it that the ducks just don't notice it. You know, just like – just like one of them big huge, like it's like the panel blind. Right. It's like the panel blinds in the middle of a cornfield. If you if you throw a layout in the middle of a cornfield, all grassed up, and they still see that mound, they're gonna poo be gone because right. they see it all the time. But if you have a big old you know 12, 15 foot panel blind set up in the middle of a dang bean field, even people do it, yeah. and they still shoot them. It's just something that looks big enough and obnoxious enough that they really don't associate it with the hunter. So. That's crazy, man. Like, so there's this levee road, there's this river that flows right by our property that we lease. And there's this huge levee and, and you drive up on that levee and there's this road and you're just driving by rice fields and bean fields and all this shit that's all flooded out. Yeah. Um, most of them are dried out, but the blinds in them are the, in the middle of the field and they're massive, you know, just absolutely these massive blinds. And you're like, there's no way guys work ducks out of that, those things. But they you know? do. You just hear them shooting yeah. all the time. It's crazy. Like you wouldn't, like in the, this, this area hunting in too, there's permanent blinds. 
And it's funny because most of the guys with boats actually have their boat blinds grassed up better than the stupid permanent blinds out there. But yeah, I mean, they look, some of them look atrocious. I mean, they're big yellow looking things in the middle of a brown cattails and they're tall and they're just uglier and sin. And the guys still shoot them. Yeah. Sometimes I've, I've, there's enough pressure there and there's enough people around that I watch a lot of duck flare away from people. You know, I, most of the ducks we're shooting are level. Right. So if you were 500 yards away, you would lose the ducks. Mm-hmm. And then they'll boom, then they'd come back up. Right. Most ducks that we see get shot are being shot up. You know, you're looking, you, you can see him playing his day and you see one drop, duck fall. Like, huh. right. Either they saw a mojo or they saw someone's face. Or they saw a big, huge boat blind, not hidden, or a duck blind, not a permanent blind, not hidden. So it, I think it just, a lot of it just depends on how it's done. Yeah. You know, like if you do it well, it isn't necessarily even, I, I don't know how to describe it, but there's, you could hide some big things pretty awfully and do it. But do it right, I guess. It might not look good to you, but as long as it doesn't look like a duck blind right. or something they get shot out of frequently, you're probably okay. Whereas if you try to hide a little teeny tiny thing and you do it miserably, ugh, brutal. You're going to be shooting at 40 every day. Man, it's it's kind of crazy. I think it's like – I think like it just depends on what – those ducks have experienced like there could be one duck in that group they got shot at the out of something that looked remotely oh, yeah. like what you're in yeah. because we've got this we've got this large blind and it um some days just flares the shit out of birds you know oh yeah and then the, then other days you just have them lighting right your decoys you're shooting them three four feet off the water yep right there right there out of it's probably lighting i think yeah having the sun for some reason is such a big difference on them Mm -hmm. like they just see blinds i don't know what they pick out about them but the other thing too i you're talking about how you know one duck out of a bunch has seen them that's why i always think it's super way better to have a big wad i would be i would be 10 times more confident trying to kill a flock of 100 mallards coming over than I would a flock of two. Yeah. Out of a flock of 100, you're going to have a few dumb ones in there that are just going to belly up to you, and the rest are going to come in. Whereas if you've got two, and one of them thinks something's weird, yeah. oh, God, then the yeah. other one's going to follow it. Yeah. Oh, like I always say, man, if, like, if we have like, a single or a pair or a three-pack or something, I'm like uh, I'm never very confident. Mm-hmm. If I see a flock of 100 coming over just kind of floating – just kind of looking like they're going to work. And all of a sudden, I, I think we got them. They're done. Yeah. We just don't see those ones flare near as much. Hmm. And really, that's the, one of the cool things this year. Like, we had very few birds flare. Like, man. Like, I remember the first day we hunted my boat. We took, first day I ever took it out was on this lake. I knew it was going to suck. We just, me and another guy just took it out just simply to take it. Mm-hmm. And all on the stupid lake was buffleheads, which I hate. Yeah. I mean, I just don't even want to shoot one. But. We went out, and we couldn't, I mean, there was no, buffaloes won't even decoy. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a bad deal. I got this boat, and buffaloes won't even decoy to it. What, what can I expect? So then the next day, or probably a week later, is when we hit the river the first time we and Buddy went out. And we scratched out a limit of mallards, and I was like, how, like, how does this work? I mean, we had ducks floating over us at 10 yards, and we just weren't shooting them, just kind of to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And just to see what they would do. And these birds are in a fairly pressured area. I mean, it's it's not... Arkansas pressure, but it's, I mean, it's as pressured as anywhere else in the country. I mean, a right. lot of people, 
<clears throat> and they were just floating right over it. And you're like, all right. And we just kept, kept doing it. And they kept working. Next, the next pass, boom, they were trying to sit down. Yep. So, and they were that bigger flock. It's not that little scrawny little flock, some ones and twos. Because as soon as you get a pair or a single, they'd get to 75 yards. And you might as well shot at them. They'd flare so bad. Right. Big wads would, boop come and sit right in so that's crazy to me it seems like yeah i guess like if the overall group consensus of the wad is like let's go in there's one or two won't really hold it up as yeah. much yeah um See, for us it's once we get them to break we're like typically hunting almost never are hunting like right where the birds want to be mm-hmm. we're all like in between where they're roosting and somewhere where they're either going to sit for the day or where they're going to feed or whatever. So we're just underneath them. All we're doing is just trafficking them off of there. So if we can just get one or two ducks to break, mm-hmm. usually the whole flock will just collapse and they're down and on you, you know, within one pass in and done. Yeah. Cause you got those ones to break and they hook and then it's done. Yeah. And it's crazy that it works like that, but it's like those big flocks or something about them that they just give each other the confidence just to keep sucking on in there. Right. We're not really seeing groups like that. I mean, we will if we're out hunting off the river. We'll get some big groups. Um, but, like, where we're hunting on our lease and stuff like that, um, or even off the, you know, just, like, the smaller uh, the smaller lakes and whatever public land we're hunting around there, you know, you're not really seeing groups of 100. You're seeing 15, you know, 15 that's typical for us. Yeah, too. yeah. It's just like well, even those flocks, even that size, I feel way better with than the little teeny ones. Yeah. And though actually some years, I mean, a lot of years we would see flocks of 100, they're 40 or 50 or 60 or 100. Man, this year only a couple like that. A couple right. days ago, everything else was scraping out tens and five to five to 20 was a, a decent flock this year. So for the most part. Yeah. I mean, right now we're just not even. <laughs> seeing birds yeah. uh we that first that cold front two weekends ago that came through i mean we had a couple thousand birds in the area you know flying over us and then we saw a bunch of high birds push in but i mean everything was locked up and then it was time for you know everybody to go home for christmas so we couldn't really take advantage of the thaw but my brother stayed my brother stayed and he didn't really kill him. And then I've been talking to other guys in the area, and uh, and no one in our area. And so we're in Tunica County, Mississippi. If you look at where Stuttgart is, we're yep. directly east. You know. Oh yeah. We're not far from Stuttgart. Yeah. At all. And um, the, I mean, guys are guys are having a hard hard time. There's some amazing amazing property around us that this group of really wealthy guys own and i mean you're not even hearing them shoot you know it's like brutal brutal it the few thousand birds in the area the pressure's so high for what little water there is that it's like they got their one spot that they're going to that they know they get stale awfully quick in that scenario real quick dude so and I've been putting in miles scouting when I've been down there, just driving around trying to figure out if there's anywhere that I can get into that's holding birds, and I just haven't found a spot. Like, they're hitting private land that Ugh. we're just never going to get permission to hunt. See, that's what's crazy is um, 
when I was a few times I've been down south, like we don't even pretend to ask for permission there. Whereas around here, it's just kind of the deal. Yeah. You just have to ask. I mean, the birds use public, but there's so much land that's just not getting pounded. Right. The birds private or public, depending on what it is on a given day where they got shot off of. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to be able to hunt public. But even here, it's not. It's it's way better than it would be in Arkansas or Mississippi or Tennessee or any of those places. But yet, there's still enough of the scenarios of, oh, my nephew hunts or my uncle hunts or such and such that you get turned down a bunch. So, yeah. But we're lucky to have public to hunt that isn't totally overran and can still kill birds off of it. Yeah, the public is typically not that overrun in our area. Like, the public is, like, a very underutilized asset, I feel like, in the South. People in the South have this, like, perception that if you have to hunt public, like, they just don't want to do it. So, I mean, my brother and I have been hunting public. They just feel like it's less than, you know? It's like there's this stigma attached to it or something. And um, my brother and I have been hunting public our entire hunting career. We still hunt public. I didn't, I've hunted my least this year like actually hunted it i think three times and i've hunted i've been duck hunting probably in that area 20 times somewhere in that somewhere in that neighborhood Uh, on public but there's just there's just not that much water you know that's gonna kill you yeah so it's just you know it's kind of i don't know i had a post on instagram the other day where i talked about that um and i would consider to me southern illinois Illinois is, is the South, mm-hmm. not as much, obviously not like Mississippi, but it's still Southern. It's just a different, it's that duck culture where everybody hunts and there's tons of pressure and it's a whole different scenario than up here. And like, I remember the first day we were hunting, like the night before, the night before our first hunt, I wasn't sure where we were going to hunt. And I talked to some guys and, and they had invited me to go with, I'm like, all right, I can do that. And, uh, I'm like, well, do we need to go out and scout? Because it's still light out. And they said, no, we'll just go to our lease. I'm like, oh, like, are there birds going over there? Oh, I don't know. There might be. Yeah. Like, don't we want to go like look and see or maybe check another spot out? I mean, I'll tell you, if I told any of my buddies that, yeah, I hunted the same spot uh, three days in a row and there hasn't been any birds over it. You want to just go hunting tomorrow? Like, not there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be like, yeah, I'll go uh, get in the truck and drive around and look tonight. None of them, and like, and nobody. They thought I was crazy for asking the question of I wanted to go scout. Like, the, oh, the, the the deal with that is that so having hunted in North Dakota in a very similar terrain as you, oh yeah, is that you you can really scout that though. Whereas in the South, you can, it's much more difficult to scout, like because Probably it's trees. trees everywhere, man. Trees That's- everywhere, and. um and your your like little pockets of bottom water, bottom lands, and water and whatnot that you, you have to it. you have to you can't see it from the road or anything like that from binoculars. So that's the tough part. You know what the reason is that people don't hunt public is because a lot of that public land you can't take a four wheeler on it. Oh yeah, so and they're easy. and they're just lazy, man. Oh dude, I learned that when every year we've been to Arkansas, we learned that. Yeah, I mean we. We had a year, two two years ago, two years ago, we had damn near like, and it was it, we were alone for for Arkansas public, public, you know considerations. Mm-hmm. We had nobody within probably 500 yards of us a couple of days, 
and then we had thousands of birds swimming around us and we were killing them. I mean, there's thousands of birds we were kicking out on our walk in, but no one was walking to them right. because there's no boat laying to the spot. Right. So you had to park your boat and get out and walk probably a third of a mile to get yeah. into it. And there was nobody there. And it was just crazy. And we were like, this is unbelievable. If there was this many ducks, if there, when I, from where I was at in Minnesota, somewhere in Minnesota, there would have been, there would have been, 500 people back in that little spot because the people <laughs> did that. It had been insane. And we were dragging our boats through, you know, 500 yards of cattails and oh, mud yeah. and whatnot. Because nothing that we had there you could ever drive a four-wheeler to. Or, or, and the lakes were all different. So there's no boating right to a spot typically. Right. So, yeah, I kind of realized that if it's not easy, there's, there's a small segment of the population that's going to find them. Yeah, I'm part of that segment. If it's not easy... <laughs> I guarantee I'll be back there. And if it's only a thirty, a third of a mile, that's easy. Oh, yeah. yeah, that to me, like, we're, I'll, I'll put in two miles through bottomlands just through mud. I don't care. Yeah, that was, it was, it was really simple. We threw, threw decoys and guns in the bot in a sled, drag. Just walk woods man. in knee deep water is all it was. Yeah. Yep. And just, but everybody else back on the boat lane. I'm like, hmm, all right, have at it, man. With people <laughs> yards down from you. We would just walk right past them. They're like, where are these guys going? <laughs> See ya. We figured that out. My brother and I figured that out real early in college. Is like, there are like these spots that would only be you know a couple hundred yards from the road. You park your truck. Those spots would be slammed every day. You know. Oh, yeah. Yep. And. Uh, like all right well you could keep on walking further back and get away from those dudes all we have to do is show up earlier you know yep so people don't do it people don't do it it's interesting why uh it's interesting like getting back to talking about when we first signed on is like i feel like in the south especially like people just are uh way more out of shape and, and that could be and then, uh, we got a fair amount here yeah man it's just like dude train well i mean you know right because from your elk hunt right like i yeah. I've, i'm like i spend top my off season thinking about hunting season and how i'm going to be a better hunter yeah and so i'm working all- out to become a better hunter which working out does not and by any means mean that you're going to kill ducks but it doesn't increase your hunting skill, but it increases your opportunities that you're going to give yourself. Potentially, yeah. Do it. And that, in my scenario, in, from my experience of hiking into spots where no four wheeler access is allowed and you can't get a boat back there, then yep. yeah, you just got to, you know, grade carry, it out. Carry two dozen decoys and go. Yep. So that's yeah. it. One of those deals where you see uh, the picture of Jeff Foyle is all hardcore and there's no days off. It's right. that kind of deal, you know, where, oh, it's tough. You got But if you, it's true to some extent, as much as I laugh about it and joke about it, how people try to make duck hunting seem like it's some, like, big battle. But some of it's true. I mean, if, if you put in more work, you're typically going to shoot more birds. Yeah. It's that simple. Well. Guys, like, I mean, I know it's true in Arkansas. I know it's true here. The spots I hunt on the river, there's guys that will hunt the exact same hole on the Missouri River yeah. every single day, no matter whether they shot ducks there. Whether they haven't shot a duck there for three days in a row, they're going to hunt there again because that's where they hunt. And they can herd duck 
ducks getting killed a mile away and they're not going to go investigate and not going to mess with it because that's where they hunt. Yep. Same thing with guys in those, some of the spots in, in the woods, everywhere, because this is their spot. This is where they're going to hunt. This is how they know how to get to. They know where to put decoys. Mm-hmm. And it's just simple, so they're not going to do it. So They got their one. I'm glad there's people like that. Yeah, yeah me too, because we killed. Out, watching the sunrise, mm-hmm. not worrying about shooting ducks quite as much. They're just not as mad at them yet. Yeah. I mean, hey, more, you know, power to them. Like, I, that whole... Uh, yeah, out there every day, duck hunting is super tough. Like, or the guy that thinks they're like a badass because they duck hunt yeah. multiple days a week. Like, kind of cra- it kind of cracks me up because it's not that tough. Like, all you have to do is be comfortable when it's cold. And, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like it's really not that hard. It's not, and and the funny thing is, is most people are never in like dangerous circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, most and there's some people hunt big lakes, and I hunt the river, and I'm always on big water, so I it's kind of adventurous at times. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are parking their truck, walking 100 yards to a little pond, setting up in a foot of water, or setting up in a cornfield. And, you know, it's not really an adventure. You're not yeah. threatening. You know, your life isn't threatened in this scenario. Yeah. It's not that tough. And if it was that hard, and you hate it that bad, or it's that much work, you just don't go then. Yeah. You know, that's how you think of it. So. Well. You're not you're not a tough guy because you go shoot five little mallards you know <laughs> i but more power to them dude like especially if they're new hunters um you know like we we spent probably a season going to the exact same spot when we first started duck hunting we no one taught us we didn't know yep. what we were doing we just knew that we had to go to a place with water and hope that ducks would show up and like it just so happened that the first couple times we went there we killed some ducks you know but then we never killed any. We never killed him again there, you know. And, and it takes a while. It takes a while to get that beaten out of you. Yeah. To get that, because you you have to like I've done that where I'm like God, we killed him the last two days in a row. I'm gonna go there again. We're gonna kill him, and then you don't, and then you try it one more time. Like all right, I was dumb to do it again. But mm-hmm. I gotta go somewhere else this time. So yeah, it's uh, you gotta you gotta be willing to switch it up. I think that's like the biggest thing about duck hunting is just your willingness to switch it up. Mm-hmm. and then like you know and then i mean then there are the day the times like that i find myself in this year where it's like you're just not gonna kill them because you, oh yeah there's Some, no there's weather lack of ducks who knows yeah, when what you're lack just, of wind. And you can't let it get to your head you have to keep going and like last season was a really bad season for us too so like we've had you know, at this point, 90 days of really bad duck hunting. And it's just like, I swore up and down after last season because we put in a lot of work. I swore up and down. I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with duck hunting. Like, I just, like, I got, it, it beat me up, man. And then, uh, you know, I got fired up again, you know, a couple months later. But, oh, yeah. um, you have to lick your wounds a little bit. You do. You gotta. You just gotta keep pushing. Keep, yep. keep pushing and keep learning. You know. Well, there's always just different stuff. I mean, heck, one a week can make. I mean, like I said, I was like bummed out, and end of October, I just I was feeling like I was my whole duck season was flying by me. Here I was, basically halfway in the South Coast duck season, and I hadn't even killed a duck yet. Yeah. Uh, that's. I mean, that has never happened since I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. And 
And all of a sudden, a week later, you know, I get myself in a little pile of greenheads, and all of a sudden, my whole spirits change. And boom, I'm feeling on top of the world. I'm ready to roll. I'm looking at weather again. I'm all scouting again. I'm getting ready to make a trip. I'm talking to buddies. And we're all of a sudden, that's, we're all back in it again. And it just takes a little bit to do it. And so a lot of it's kind of mental. I mean, obviously, I don't think mental is the actual killing them, but just the keeping hunting and the continuing on. Yeah, perseverance. Yep. Yeah, the guy just has to keep doing it. There's a lot of people, I'll tell you what, they have a lot of perseverance that continue to not shoot ducks over and over. And I see that, I see the, uh, see, you know, you see posts on Facebook or something where, oh, this season's this, and we've shot one duck in 130 days. And I'm like, oh, man, this, this is my third year. I've only shot four ducks. Or, yeah. Like, Are you kidding me? You got to do something different. Go find a buddy that knows what he's doing. Or, especially yeah. when there are places that have ducks. You're like, you see it in Michigan and the northern states that have ducks. I mean, they're clearly ducks in those areas. Yeah. You got to learn some new ticks and tricks and techniques or something. Yeah, man. It's um, getting with guys that or listening to podcasts, whatever you can do to, <laughs> to improve your game. Because if you're just, if you're not, if you're not killing them in, in a state like South Dakota, Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta change something up yeah. for sure. There's something that you can do to kill ducks. You might have to travel further than 15 miles. You might have to do something. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of it too. People just don't want. Like when I was younger, man, I thought like driving 30 miles was like the end of the world. I was like, oh, we gotta drive all the way over to such and such lake to get them. Uh, let's just go here. It's only 10 miles away. Yeah. And, and as I grew older and hit my probably late 20s, 30s, I'm like, you know what? Let's drive an hour and a half. But have a phenomenal hunt, right? Rather than sit somewhere for the whole day and shoot two ducks and piss and moan about having no ducks around and being mad, let's yeah. drive a little extra bit. So I mean, I routinely drive an hour now, if not two hours sometimes, to go find ducks and know it's going to be a good hunt and be a place I want to shoot them. Yeah, that's a lot. I think that's a lot of it too. Yeah. Some some states you drive two hours, you're out of the state probably. Yeah. That just puts me barely out on the edge somewhere. that's a problem is like where we are at you know for us to get to where the ducks are at i've already got hunting licenses in four different states i think right now and for me you know to to stack on an arkansas missouri and an illinois license it's like you know i'm looking at thousands of dollars (laughs) yeah Uh, plus gas yeah, plus gas, plus a hotel room, because I'm not going to just stay there for one night. So the money part, you know, slows yeah. guys down, adds too. Adds up quick. Yeah. It's kind of, I've been looking at buying a little uh, cabin down in one of the areas I hunt. It's only like an hour and a half away from me, but it's one of those deals where if I could find a little cabin with a garage, it's heated. Mm-hmm. And if I pay, it's cheap. I mean, it's a rural area. If I could find one for 40 grand, get something that's livable and stick my boat in it in the, on the days I'm not working. So all of a sudden, if I have one day off, I go down there the night before, hunt that day. I might not work till noon the next day. So all of a sudden, I can hunt the next morning for a few hours, ditch my boat, change in my little cabin, and get up to work. All of a sudden, I might like double my hunting days. Oh, plus, yeah. I'd be way more likely to go simply due to the fact that I don't have to pay for a hotel. I don't have to deal with a boat, everything being frozen and cold and just everything is simpler when you have your own stuff. You can leave your clothes lay around if you want. You can dog in, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So yeah, for sure. There's always motels 
in little rural hunting towns in South Dakota are going to no dogs in the motels. Blows my mind. That's, I mean, that's what they live on. A couple of them, that's the only thing they get is hunting traffic, and there's no dogs in the motel. Like, really? Yep. So that's, they're going to basically, I'm going to end up buying a place because of that. Because I'm not, you know, especially if it's, if it's 10 degrees, I'm not leaving my dog out in the truck. Yeah. I don't ever leave her in the truck for that matter. But even then, I surely don't want to. So yeah. She'll sleep on the foot of the bed and be good to go. 40 grand, dude. I mean, that's uh, a totally affordable mortgage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like 150 bucks a month, you know. <laughs> Drink a little less beer that, that month than I got. My <laughs> I can't pay for. Yeah. So, or whatever, whatever little luxury I want to give up for a few years and pay it off. And plus, then have some, if you know, I got a whole bunch of friends from Minnesota, friends from around here that would go down there. If they stay there, you know, throw 20 bucks in a night. Yeah. You pay it off in no time. Oh, so. yeah, man. That. <laughs> We bought a um, we bought a trailer. That's kind of what I would probably do. Yeah, so that has been massive for us. And then we were supposed to be moving. We were supposed to move into a house that we're renting or we're going to rent last month, but something slowed that down on on the the leases end. And then so we'll have a house in Mississippi, and then a trailer that we we can keep somewhere else like we you can find like a uh you know whatever so if we need to put something a trailer up in missouri and we just hunt public land up in missouri then yeah you know that's something that i think is totally doable trips so much more doable than just having a place just a home base just to work out of that's the other thing a lot of my hunts like i I mean if i'm off same off tuesday wednesday thursday of a week and I don't know where I'm going to hunt until Monday. A lot yeah. of times, no, I've got my boat hooked up, and I know everything's packed, and the dogs with me when I go to work, and I'm leaving Monday night from work. But I don't know if I'm going north. I don't know if I'm going south. I don't know if I'm going west. Right. It just depends on where the birds are, what the weather's doing. You know what I've heard from my little hunting network of friends. Right. But if you had a place all of a sudden in a certain area that was, and if things weren't just awesome in a certain spot. And, well, you know what? We can go up to the cabin. I know there's some birds there. We can go do that, and it's easy. Right. And try to find, like, a motel two days, especially in South Dakota with all the dang pheasant hunting traffic we get. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our motels are booked solid pretty much through October. Oh, I bet. So it's a son of it. Once November hits, it and trying to find a motel in October, is, it's not going to happen unless you get incredibly lucky. Right. So if you have just a place, all of a sudden just crash, you don't have to worry about that, and you're not going to be staying 30 miles away from a hunt, you can just stay right there, essentially, right. or whatever. So. My brother and Scott are camping in Oklahoma right now, so they are sleeping in a tent. Yeah. Uh-oh. Like a little tent or like a wall tent? Like a little three-season tent. Yeah. That's tough to do duck hunting. Yeah. I've done it in a wall tent before like a, with a wood stove. But trying to do it in a little tent is tough to dry everything out. Oh, yeah. Duck hunting is very it's so gear intensive for the most part. It's a son of a gun. Yeah, especially when shit gets wet, man. Oh, it's like your gloves are wet and your hat's wet and your pants are wet. Just everything's wet. Yeah. It'd be one thing if, if a guy was field hunting, it probably would actually be pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You could do it in some cold weather and whatnot, but trying to hunt water on a, out of a little tent is that's a battle. Yeah. I, you, 
If I were doing them, I don't think I can do that. Dude, I'm um before this fly fishing season kicks off, I'm buying a have you ever heard of Kafaru? Oh yeah. So I run their packs yep. and um teepee? Yeah, I'm getting a teepee and a stove. So uh, those are like that little like two pound stove. Yeah, so I'm gonna be able to hike into the backcountry and get to some gnarly water and just yep. pound fish and you know, March here is pretty cold. Oh yeah. But um I think it's gonna be a game changer for us. It's expensive as balls. It's gonna oh, cost yeah. me like fifteen hundred bucks, but I think it's gonna change up our game. But if it gives you that much more opportunity to go. And with yeah. a buddy of mine, guy I work with, is, is looking at it, the same deal. He actually ordered the stove. He just doesn't have the teepee yet. Yep. Man, I mean, the thing weighs like nothing. 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 And if it changes, like, all of a sudden you can go fish for, you know, a three-day trip or something and stay warm and comfortable when you're in your tent, like, especially if it's raining a day and you're just not going to fish or if you're not mm -hmm. going to – or if you're elk hunting – and you're not gonna hunt because of it if it's just nasty out and you're just chilling there and you got you got a little bit of warmth kind of totally changed your spirits having a little fire going oh yeah this is just sitting there getting wet and cold and especially in that deal because you don't have a, they don't have a floor do they no they don't have a, a floor yeah but you can carry tyvek with you so you just take like tyvek sheets out there which is super light yeah um but my brother and i so Obviously, elk hunting is going to come into play for that. Um, but um, my brother and I are looking at going on a caribou, archery caribou hunt in the Alaska Yukon. Ooh, yeah. And um, that, you know, we'll take a float plane in, they'll drop us off, and then we'll just kind of hike and hike and hike and hike. And I think that set, that setup will come into play pretty, pretty, pretty well for us out there. Um, so we're trying to put that together, that huh? So that'd be the ticket for that deal. I know, right? One of my, I work with just did that this last year. He did the caribou hunt, but he did it, he did it in Alaska, but he did it in the mountains. Really? Mountain caribou? Not on the, yeah, not on the tundra. Yeah. I, we I think we want to do it on the tundra just because I think it'd be cool as shit to see that migration, you know? Oh, yeah amongst however many thousands are moving past you yep how cool would that be yep um sorry i'm telling my girlfriend i'm on a podcast right now um so yeah man how'd your elk hunt go you killed a cow didn't you yep i did it was um it was cool i, I had an absolute blast with that like i didn't i didn't know how much i would enjoy it because i went out scouting two different times ahead of time and I never actually saw any elk didn't hear any elk you know in late August I was like well this is interesting I saw an elk sign everywhere so I'm like well I know there's elk around so I'm just gonna go back and try it so mm -hmm. one of my buddies from Minnesota who has elk hunted before he's just an all-around good hunter he came with me we went out and set up camp and the first I mean every day we were on elk like crazy and like the difference for me is I'm not like an archer where I'm like comfortable with the bow. Mm -hmm. I can shoot to 40 yards comfortably, but I'm not like the guy who all of a sudden can like snap, shoot, boom, and just be ready in awkward situations. I kind of need to have my shit straight. So I'm set up right and do all that, you know, like mm -hmm. shotgun, 
tell me there's a duck on my right and I'm going to shoot it just like that. No right. <laughs> but I'm not that way with the bow at all. Mm-hmm. So I had several times where there was three or four times on our first trip where there was cows, because I had a cow tag, mm-hmm. where there was cows within 30 yards of me and I just couldn't get a shot or I couldn't move or just something goofy, you know, they were behind a stick or I was sitting the, like facing the wrong way and all sorts of weird stuff. And I mean, it was just awesome. And we had bulls bugling in the fog 40 yards away from us that we couldn't see. We had bulls bugling all around us. And we were, we were amongst elk almost the entire time for like really? And, um, so it was super cool. And there was really no other hunters right by us. So we had kind of two or three different groups of elk. I mean, groups of like 50 to 60, three different ones to ourselves for the most part that we kind of, kind of plucked at the edges of that and tried to get into them and just you know something would happen the wind would switch or whatever and they'd bust us and then gone and we'd go to the next bunch and mm-hmm. tons of walking it was i absolutely loved it um this we actually backpacked in we were in the black hills of south dakota nice and it's 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 big country but it's not like mountain it's it's like mini mountains is what i would call it mm-hmm. there's quite a few roads so you're never like more than a mile or two from a road so we probably wouldn't have had to have backpacked in, but we did. And I kind of wanted to just in preparation, like to do the mountains here this next year. Mm-hmm. So we backpacked in, did all our stuff. I mean, even that was cool. Like, I mean, we had elk, we had elk walking like 20 yards away from us at night. Nice. In the dark. It was, God, it was a blast. Well, I didn't, so I didn't end up shooting one my first time. Never actually got a shot. I draw, drew on one, didn't kill one, didn't get a shot. And then, so then like, I'm like, I got to get back. So I kind of finagled a way to get like three days off. And I ran back out one night after work, got set up at like my tent set up at midnight, slept for a few hours, was super tired, ended up uh, sleeping in the first morning. And I woke up and it was basically light. And I woke up to to bugling. Really? And I was super tired. And I laid there for a minute yet. And I'm like, maybe I can just sleep a few minutes. It's not super close. <laughs> and it was... And all of a sudden it got closer. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta get up. It was it was pretty cool that morning. So I wake my ass up out of my tent and start getting dressed. And also I'm like, and this is kind of the funny part of the story. I'm like, I gotta take a poop. So I'm like, my God, it's bad. This is bad. So I'm like off the side of my tent a little bit, pooping up against the tree. And all of a sudden, across this coming down this ridge, I hear it sounded like a freight train coming at me. And I'm like. Oh Lord. And I hear bugling and I hear cows and I'm pooping and there's like probably 60 to 70 elk run like a hundred yards away from me. And I'm sitting there watching them pants down and there's bugling and there's trees crashing and breaking and branches snapping. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I finish up, <laughs> let them walk off up and over the hillside, run, kind of scoot back to my tent, grab my bow, get straightened out, follow them get relatively close i was like 75 yards away from the suckers wind was perfect and kind of just waiting for the last few stragglers to move off so i could maybe move around on them again thinking and i had actually called a little bit and they were came to like 60 yards which is out of my range mm-hmm. they're looking and looking and they stopped and all of a sudden everything just spooked I'm like what in the hell well like 20 seconds later dude pops up on the other side of the ridge and i'm like ah uh... so we saw each other went talked for a minute he went one way i went the other and i followed this this bunch of them and i ended up probably six or seven hours killing one out of this bunch hmm. after i had i kind of chased them around like an hour later i got on them right away again and 
didn't know it. I call call. I was call calling, just kind of float calling through the woods and listening, and and then made a little call and I was cutting across, like trying to stay behind him, behind the wind a little bit to the angle. And all of a sudden, I was looking down and I look up, and I'm I'm in the woods, but I was didn't have a ton of cover right around me. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, there's like one cow at like probably 60 yards and two right behind her at 10 more yards. I'm like, oh shit. I have no cover, no nothing, so I stop. You know, my no no arrow knock, no release ready or nothing. So I stand there, and they get to like, they're they're coming. I'm like, well, I at least gotta try to get an arrow. So I get an arrow off, get it knocked. I'm ready, but I have my bow kind of drawn, kind of up. Mm-hmm. And they come to like probably 25 yards, and they're I mean I'm, they're staring at me. I'm mm-hmm. in the wide open for as much as you can be in a woods. Right. I surely can't just draw now. So they stand there. We're just like staring at each other. I'm looking down, you know, like this, trying not to make eye contact. And they kind of spook a little bit. The one bolts off maybe to like 40 yards and it stops behind a tree. I'm like, oh, sweet. So I draw real quick. I had to like lean back and I could perfect clear shot. And I'm like, and I knew it was, I figured it was about 40 yards. I'm like, okay, bottom pin, bottom pin. I got a 20, 30, and 40 yard pin. I'm like bottom pin, bottom pin. And I get on it, and my arrow is like, like into the sky. I mean, it like that's how it looked like at least. I mean, yeah. it flew over its back by like two feet. Oh man! And I'm thinking to myself, what in the? How did that even happen? What, what the hell? And so I go back, and and these they take off, you know, and they run back towards this herd. And I'm like, what the hell? And I think about it, and I go find my arrow, and I'm pissed off. You know, God, I do all this work, and I practice, and blah, 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 and I screw it up this bad. What's going on? Well, I get to thinking, I actually have a fourth pin on my bow that I just put shoved down to the bottom of my uh... sight pin. And, and in the heat of the moment, I'm thinking, bottom pin, <laughs> bottom pin. You know, it was probably like an 80-yard pin or something. Who knows, you know? <laughs> Whatever it was, it wasn't good for 40. So... Kind of pulled my head on my ass on that deal, and luckily, like as I was walking looking for my arrow, there was bulls bugling like 200 yards away. So I find my arrow, get back on them, sneak in, get to like God, like 60 yards again from this whole herd of like 50 bulls or 50 uh, uh, elk. There's a lot of low, like nice, like low fur, uh, not fern, like low uh, pine cover, like bushy pines. I don't even know what they're called, mm-hmm. scrub pines or something. I get in there on them, and I'm like, oh, man. And I, I couldn't get any closer because there was a little bit of the opening, and they were in some thick, thick timber. And it was probably noon, and all of a sudden, they just started to all bed down. I'm like, oh, shit. And I couldn't get any closer, so I just chilled. And I, I took a nap. I was sleeping. I'd wake up. I'd look. I'd see them. I'd see ears moving back in the distance. You know, they were probably anywhere from, oh, 60 to 200 yards away from me, just, you know, elk just – filled up that whole little stretch mm-hmm. so i chilled out the wind was perfect right in my face like 15 I'm like this is awesome this is gonna work out one of them just gonna come back and make a mistake walk right past me sure nothing ever did so like finally like four hours later like literally like four hours later i'm like i gotta do something because they slowly started like getting up and moving away from me you know each one to get up and move 10 yards or 20 yards or 30 yards so pretty soon i didn't have any real close to me so I'm like, well, i gotta start i gotta make something happen so i crawl crawl my hands and knees for probably 60, 70 yards to right to where the closest ones were. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, now, now the closest ones are still at 50 yards. I'm like, ah. So I crawl again on my hands and knees and belly crawl and across this pine floor, you know, noisy as heck, I thought. 
And I did this for probably an hour that I belly crawled on them and would play like cat and mouse with them. They'd all get up and move. And they, they weren't spooked. They didn't know I was there. They were just moving their way ahead forward and they'd sit down. Finally, I got to, I go, if I can get to that tree, there's a little complex three trees. If I can get to that one, because there was out close to it, but they were just a little over a ridge I could just see. Mm-hmm. If I get to that, I'm going to kill them. So I kind of went as fast as I could without busting them. Belly crawled for like 40 yards. I'm dead tired by the time I get to the stupid tree. I get there, I'm like, and I slowly look up, like, oh my God, they're still there. You know, now I'm like, thump, 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 <laughs> like oh my God, oh my God, this is actually going to happen. It's actually going to happen. Get my arrow out, get knocked. And I kind of slowly get on my knees up next to this tree. And there's like, end of the being like six of them, I think. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching them. They don't even know I'm there. I'm like, oh God. So I grab my rangefinder. Closest one was at 38 yards. I'm like, okay, perfect. Next one's at 40, and the other ones are back a little bit. I'm like, all right. It's like now or never. And like, I got to wait. But the, the one that was closest was angled away from me. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't, its butt was facing me. So I couldn't, I couldn't shoot it laying down. I'm like, here's what's. And they're not in a stretch. And I'm going to be screwed. So I, I'm sitting there. I'm kind of thinking of how all the scenarios could happen that's going to play out wrong. And this all happened in like a matter of like one minute. Right. And I happened to look over to my left just a little bit more. And there was, it was a calf, a cow calf. And I'm like, hmm. And it was at like 38 yards. And I'm like, I'm going to take it. Because I only had, I had one more day I could hunt basically. I'm like, I'm going to take it. So I went over and shot it. And shot it a little far back. It ran off and the whole herd takes off. And I didn't really know how well I hit it. And I knew I hit it. Couldn't find my arrow. Ended up, it uh, it went off and it died. It was probably 75 yards away from where I was, but I was pretty. Oops. Speak of the devil, the my elk hunting buddy just called. So. <laughs> but um, it was cool. I was like, I was pretty jacked. And then then the adventure started for me because I've never killed a big game animal in my life. So I've never I've never skinned the deer. I've never done anything like that. So I've, I've watched a whole ton of YouTube videos. Okay, here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. So I shoot the sucker and like well now i get to start learning so look i walk up to it i'm like well here we go cut her open and stab myself in the hand in the process so i i was probably bleeding more than the elk was during the whole thing so (laughs) but it was cool i went i got back i finished cleaning it or uh getting it quartered out got back to my truck didn't have a very well far walk out like maybe a mile Mm -hmm. got it in two trips since it was a calf um got back to my truck cracked a beer called a bull in in the dark really? to like yeah to like 50 yards of my truck as I, I recorded it for one of my buddies and sent him a text he's like that's freaking cool i'm like yep i'm sitting here with an elk in the freezer beer <laughs> fire eating some hot dogs and having a bull come in it was cool so i had a blast i'm i'm super excited to go next year hell yeah this, man. This, this year i guess hell yeah, yeah. I... So, even even though it was a cow and it wasn't like that's it was more a calf I was so jacked to shoot that sucker, so it was fun. Well, hey, if you want to go to Colorado, man, I've got a, uh, I've got an in with a group of guys out there that do pretty good damage in the Aspen area and the in the backcountry. I mean, it would be a, you know, backcountry hunt for sure. You would be carrying a tent, yep. but um, yeah, that's that's the deal. That's what I want to do. <clears throat> so if you uh, if you want to get in on that. Love to do it. Um, I got one of at least one other guy going with me, so I have to see what his scoop is. But yeah, it's God, that's fun. Just being out there and 
and, I, and of course it was I it was super cool because I was always an elk and I never had that scenario where you're hiking for a day and you never get on them. So I'm sure once I ran into that, you know, the the real stuff. I mean, Black right. Hills are different than than the mountains, but I'm sure I'll be a little more frustrated. But God dang it, that was fun. <laughs> do you uh do you watch like the Gritty Bowman on YouTube? I don't. Dude, they are a podcast, like a YouTube podcast that's like 100% focused on elk. Uh-huh. And um, it's like this dude named Brian Call and Aaron Snyder. Aaron oh, that's Snyder, though. Yeah, that dude is the, uh, he's like the main guy at Kafaru. Um, oh, okay. But uh, they have like guys like Corey Jacobson on all the time. Corey Jacobson oh. is like a badass elk caller, elk hunter. Um, yep. And you can learn a lot on that. The older episodes are way, way better. Like the oh, really? the original episodes, like their new stuff is, it's, it's good, but it's just kind of like getting a little, they're just so popular now. Yeah. Probably, you know, probably only so much you can talk about at some point in time. That and like they have to like constantly have to do, have the dudes from like that sponsor their podcast on. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. which is like a lot of dudes yeah. have asked me if I want commercial. Then. Yeah, it's like a lot of dudes have asked me if I'm going to take sponsors, and I'm like, no, yeah. because then I have to do what they want me to do. Content, then. Yeah, I don't want to drink beer and cuss on my podcast. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, has to be proper and and make sure you say the right brand name so many times an hour and all that baloney. Yeah, and too like. On the duck hunting side of things, there's nobody out there that I'd really want to be sponsored by. You know, it's like there's not really any great like duck hunting company that I'd be like, wow, you know, I'm really pumped to, to like work with these guys. Like a few years ago, I would have said that absolutely for sure. There's a couple now that Sika, I mean, Sika's makes yeah. phenomenal gear, but even then, like, I I'm wearing Kuyu right now, you know, it's like, or I'm going to, I wear first light all the time. It's, it's not, you know, you're breaking up on me. Oh, Hold I? on a sec. Is it better now? It's your there way. we go. Okay. Yep. So what I was saying is like, I, I'm wearing Kuyu right now. You know, I wear some sick of gear and I love wearing first light too. Like if I'm elk hunting, I probably want to wear first light. If I'm, yep. If I'm sheep hunting, I probably want to wear Kuyu. Like, I don't want to be stuck with one brand. You oh, know? for sure. And, like, and the thing is, is, like, each company, like, has pieces that are are great for specific things. Like, because, like, when I was hunting, I've got a pair of, like, Cabela's lightweight pants that I bought that instincts off. And for me, they're dirt cheap. But I love them. And I, yeah. and I have a pair of um, Kuyu um, Tiburon, like, super ultra lightweight pants. Mm-hmm. I love those. But then I bought another Cabela's lightweight shirt. And I got a different kind of hat and different gloves and my boots or mindles. I'm like, I don't want to have to like have like the uniform on. Yeah, you know? exactly. It drives me crazy. And you see the dang pictures on Facebook or Instagram and, and there's eight dudes, every one of them, Sitka hat, neck gator, gloves, <laughs> jacket, underwear, um, something else popping out that's sick, <laughs> sick of pants, sick of underwear, sick of boots, sick of shoelaces. I'm like, ah! <laughs> But, like, they don't make the best of everything. I mean, they make great stuff. Yeah. You can't, like, tell me that everything that they make is always going to be the best for what you want. No, and they're owned by Gore-Tex, so they're limited to Gore-Tex supplies, like, or Gore-Tex materials. 
and Gore-Tex makes some great shit, but like Cabela's, for example, has Event rain gear, and yeah. Event is probably the best rain gear on the market. I yep. mean, that stretchy. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's absolutely phenomenal stuff. So it's like, I'm a gearhead, man. That's another thing. It's like I like testing gear. Like yeah. I enjoy that process, and so it's like, dudes on Instagram will be like, "Oh, who, who are your? Are you sponsored? What are your sponsors?" I'm like, "No, I'm not sponsored." I'm proud of that. Like, I don't want to be yeah. sponsored. And luckily I make enough money to where I don't have to be sponsored, you know, yeah, you do it for fun and whatever yeah. happens. Exactly. That's by far the way to go on that scenario. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I've always been like super anti pro staff. I kind of teamed up with Higdon a little bit to help do some of their stuff with their, um, like the media side of life. Mm hmm pick up some decoys, which I don't have their decoys yet, I, but I'll probably get, I mean, I'm going to get some here for next season. And then for the spring, for the spring photo season, I'll have some too, because yeah. I'm definitely in need of new decoys, but I'm still going to have like my old GNHs and I'm still going to have other stuff. You know, I, I can never be that guy. That's just like 100%. This is the only way to go. It's just like right. the thing that drove me out. It was baddie. It was five and 10 years ago when the Avery pro staff was around and like if you were if you would go on an internet page and say that oh I had a Avery uh, goose decoy that the head broke on well you must have been abusing them you <laughs> had oh, I put them in a trailer yeah the screws a million things that happened to them and then you couldn't say a bad thing about them like it was always your fault like, no dude I've had Bigfoot for 15 years I've never had a head break but all of a sudden I buy a dozen greenhead gear Avery's or whatever. And there, two of them are already broken. Like that's not my fault. Yeah, that's the decoy's that's fault. That's the decoy's fault. Avery, Avery, and Greenhand Gear are by far the, some of the worst products on the market. You know, and they just have a pro staff that is malicious. They've yeah. at least got better. They yeah. were horrendous there, like that years ago. But now they've finally gotten to like where they've got that commercial grade goose decoy. Uh, they got the one piece snow goose decoys. Um, their duck decoys don't chip paint like they did. Do so they they're not? Because I haven't uh, bought in greenhead gear in such a long time because of the paint issues. Like I figured they never changed now. it up. They're better. Yeah, they're good now. They've been good for a while. And like, what's crazy is before they really went hit the tank and just went downhill there. Um, like prior to Bandit buying them out, you know, I mean, they were the only decoy that we sold. It. I mean, that was it. That was all anybody came uh, in and asked for. I mean, they were the company, and then they just basically got driven in the ground by the management, by the guy. Yeah. And now I think they're kind of on the come up again. They're getting better. People are starting to buy them. Banded? I didn't realize Banded purchased uh, Greenhead Gear. Yeah. Did they purchased yeah. Avery in general? They bought Avery a couple, geez, a year or two ago, I think. So, yeah, they're the same company. Like I bought those Banded Waiters, and they came in an Avery box. Yeah. Those so it is. It's the same, those, one and the same, basically. Those banded waders are pretty legit. Like I hate, I hate everything else they make because a couple guys that I know have like bought some of their jackets and stuff like that, and they're garbage. But yeah, um, and I'm sorry if anybody's a banded. <laughs> but just just compared to what you could get for the same amount of money, like you could buy a sick piece for the same amount of yeah. money and get a better piece yeah. of gear. But those banded waders are are legit. A buddy of mine had um had the I think the red label or whatever the red zone or whatever they are for two years now and he's loved them mm -hmm. and I've always been a fan of breathables 
but they were just never warm enough. And he had the idea. I had a chance to pick these other ones off. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Holy crap, I love them. I mean, they're so much more comfortable than like a five millimeter neoprene. Oh, they're yeah. almost warm on the legs. Like those days when it was super cold, I was standing in the water putting decals up. I could feel a little bit of the water coolness finally, but not much. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, like, in a, you know, in a five millimeter neoprene, you don't feel anything. But yet, when you're sitting in the boat, you're clunky and you can't move and they just suck. Whereas these things are super comfortable. Awesome to walk in, like getting around in and out of the boat. They're they're awesome. And then like just like that. One of the th- it sounds funny, but one of the things I love about them, they got this like super fleecy, like puffy, you know, like that Sitka like beanie they make. That's a really thick, puffy hat underneath, yep. and it's got cell on it. It's like that same kind of like fleecy stuff inside their hand warmers. Yeah, oh, and they're amazing. You stick <laughs> in there, love it. So I'm totally sold on those things. Yeah. And I was not a banded fan before, just. And, it, and the sad thing is, it's just simply one one dude on that represents him just drives me nuts. We made we we made fun of him before on this podcast. He's very polarizing. And I got the guys that I know that 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 are in the company that I that I do like and I dig and I'd say pretty not friends with well friends with or acquaintances for a long time. Right. So I know that that's not how they all are. But if they would just lose that one dude, man, that company could have a whole different clientele. I think. Yeah, I would be excited to to see. I, you know, I don't know any of the guys over there, so I feel bad talking talking shit about them, and I shouldn't. Um, so I try not to. You know, I try not to talk smack about companies on this podcast. I try to like say yeah, it's one of them deals where like you just if you don't know if you don't know who it is, it's just super easy to be like ah. And I I wasn't a fan of any of their stuff either, but. I would probably buy some of it now. Definitely the waiters. Either yeah. either the red zone or the same ones that I got. I'd buy them in a heartbeat again. Yeah, Scott's got the red zones and he loves them. And I was thinking about buying the ones that you have, but they're like six hundred bucks. Uh huh. See, I'm rocking. Would, I'm rocking would, the Cabela's instincts right now, and I'm not having an issue with them. All oh, the things are, don't aren't the boots and those things awesome? They're like, great, except for getting them off. Oh, I know. So that's I had them, and I had to return them because I had to have. Two of my buddies had like helped me get them off one day. Yeah, like hold onto the boat, and they were pulling my foot as hard as they could. I'm like, I thought my hip was gonna get dislocated. <laughs> it was like that hard. Yeah. So I I had to go back just to like the plain like the dry plus breathables that we carry. Yeah. Those uh, other ones, I did a uh, like the first time I ever wore them was um oh man this is probably two years ago. I was actually on the cover of Wildfowl, like not one of my photos, but me. Really? Uh, yeah. Um. You know who Lee Lee Jose, I think is how you pronounce his name, Lee K J O S. Oh Pretty pretty big time waterfowl. He does they do all the marketing for like Benelli and Franke, Final Approach. Um, they're huge. Steiner, um, mm. Cabela's, they do a lot of it. But anyways, like I kind of know those guys are from Minnesota, so they came out and they needed a, a marsh that looked like a place that I knew of. And so I said, Here, this is the place. Well, next thing I know. They asked if I wanted a model. I'm like, no, I don't. Because I was using spring. And I, and I was taking photos of myself. I'm like, oh, I'd rather do this. So find, like two days later, are you sure you don't want a model? I'm like, do you need someone? I said, okay, I'll do it. So, but they brought these waders with. And it was a mucky, nasty slough. But I'm like, this is going to suck. I have to keep walking back and forth through this crap. Because I know what the slough is like. I hunt it. Mm-hmm. But it's a big, open, low, like low cover type deal. So you can see the background nice and no trees, no uh, buildings, none of that baloney. Mm-hmm. And I had them instincts on. And it was awesome. It was like walking with like 
tennis shoes, like cinch down as tight as you could. Like they weren't coming off. Like I could walk back and forth with nasty stuff without having like, you know, like your foot come up six inches and then the boot comes with you. Yeah. So I went and bought them right after that. Well, then they were, they were too tight for me. So the, I found the trick like to getting them off. You just have to like, you can't let it. So you have to, the problem with them is they put that knob the, yep. the, to kick it, kick the boots off. Yep. They put it too high. Yep. They need to exactly. put it lower, but you have to like take half of one foot off, then get the other half off, and then like <laughs> kind of work it from oh, there. Yeah. It's a project. It is a project. You like lever that you can like get to like smash them down, so like you push it <laughs> off and or get like a hydraulic like like thing ski bindings or, or like Vaseline your feet or something. Maybe <laughs> that would probably be a really good way. Oh man, they're hunting like nasty muck all the time. They are the ticket because they aren't coming off. Do you know any of the guys at Cabela's R and D team like over there? Because um, you need to tell them that they're too they're too puffy up in the top too. Like they need to be tighter. You know, they need to. Be yeah, the just the regulars guys. or the stout. The regulars. You just have regulars. Yeah, I saw. I found the same thing. That's what I, the, another the, thing I hate about duck hunting. Like most duck hunting companies, they make it for fat people. I don't know what the like, deal is. Nothing is like technical. Like all of our clothing. Like I mean, we're finally getting in like some of our instinct stuff that we had like that in that new um, O2, like the Octane O2 camel. It's kind of like that Vias stuff from Kuyu. It um, it finally was starting to get like like a like a tapered cut to it. You also didn't feel like you're wearing like a big tube around you. Right. And like the pants weren't like all nasty. They're kind of like slim cut. Um, so we're kind of getting there. I don't know if our duck stuff is that way yet. I don't think it is. Yeah. But yeah, the waders are like a big. Even in the red. Too. <clears throat> but well, it's getting there. Eventually, they'll come around, too. And duck stuff will all of a sudden become a, a technical thing. Just like, I mean, sick is kind of changing it. Yeah. Sick changing is... that. Other companies are going to follow suit, I'm sure. They're, they're a marketplace changer for sure. You know, huh. like. Yeah. The the problem has always been in like in like waterfowl is that you had like the original guys like Avery making gear, and then you yep. had Drake making gear, and Drake like came out when they first came out on the they market, had, they were yep. like kind of trying to change things up, and then yep. I don't know if they got purchased by somebody and they became more of like a a profit driven company or or what mm-hmm. happened, but their shit went downhill real quick, and then because I have a bunch of I have like three of their old quarter zips and i love them yeah but i but like i haven't bought anything new for probably six years because they haven't changed anything yeah it's all the same yeah same deal yeah i've got to the point now where like i almost wear like um i wear we got those cabela's waterfowler sweaters just a wool sweater like with the patches on the shoulders a great piece oh, things and they just look cool they're like kind of different i mean yeah. like not that i'm trying to be like old school but i don't use mojos i hunt water and I like to have that look. I bought um, Halo water the uh, Halo guys. Yeah. They um, they came out with a uh, um, tin cloth, right? Yeah, that wax cat cotton or wax canvas deal. I picked up one of those. I didn't get it till like December, so for me it was pretty much past the time I could really wear that. Right. I did wear it. The other day it was pretty warm. I just wore it as an outer layer. You're killing me, man. I'm all fresh out of beer in my whole house. I even like, <laughs> drink, I can drink up the Miller Light. So oh no. Oh, I found that one ranger here, and that's the last one in the, anywhere. So, 
That's what I picked up that like wax cotton. I love that thing. Really? Is it stiff? Because I've got a Fielson no. tin cloth jacket and it's Not stiff. Yeah. No, Fielson ones, you know, I mean, that thing's like that thick, you know, they're huge. Right. It feels like you're wearing a tank. But this one is actually pretty thin. It's thinner than I expected, but I kind of like it because mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna. I'm not gonna wear it on a day. I didn't expect to wear it on a day when it's zero degrees and I'm boating ten miles. But I figured I'd wear it for is either when I get to a spot, or if it's 15 or 20 or 30 degrees, and I just need to wear it over my like regular hunting sweater as a windbreak, zip that sucker up, collar good, and go. Right. It's pretty comfortable. I like it. You can shoulder your gun pretty well in it. Oh yeah, it's it's light. It's not at all like what you're thinking for a wax. Okay. Because yeah. okay. we've we've carried that fills bulky, and the things are gonna probably last 500 years. But like, either it's not practical, especially in a duck hunting situation. Yeah. And then you got weight on, and you're shooting awkward angles. This thing is like, it's like wearing like a like one of them like North Face. Uh, I kind of I can't think of the fabric that they have. It's like wearing one of those jackets. It's like a smidge stiff, but yet really flexible. Okay. That makes sense. Nice. It went proof. I, I dig them. Yeah, I'm glad that those uh, those Halo guys are kind of uh, stepping into the scene. They look like they might try to do something interesting. I hope they don't mess it up. You know. Well, I think they're. Pro- I've, I that's uh, those Camp Brothers are the guys, and I talked to Greg once while on the phone. Sounds like, I mean, he's got a pretty cool approach to, to duck hunting and just to stuff in general, but like to how he's taking his brand yeah. and what they're doing with it. It's pretty cool. They're taking their time, not jumping into anything, not getting it over their heads and making good stuff. I mean, those jackets are, they're U.S. made. Yeah. Um, they thawed them out. I like, I mean, they're not cheap, but they're a cool jacket. And really, there's nobody else out there except Filson that makes anything even suitable for a waterfowler's uh, wax cotton or wax canvas jack anymore yeah barber McAllister used to make a cool one yeah man i searched ebay and craigslist all over the country on craigslist looking for McAllister wax canvas jacket could never find one do they still make the sweater they had a dope waterfowl sweater McAllister's done i don't think they're i don't think they make anything anymore drake bought them out and i think they just I think they just closed down the name. Really? I could probably look. Here I thought Bass Pro bought them. No, That's I think um, not Drake. Um, oh man, what's another company? There was a Drake. I think it. Um, God dang it! Yeah, I think it's Drake bought McAllister out. Hmm. I remember when their McAllister stuff was real feels- big. Because their sweaters yeah, were really popular. Then they basically closed. I think they closed out the McAllister name for the most part. Yeah, they were huge. Wow, they, they did nothing. They end, like a, a little bit lower line than like Filson would be. Yeah, same like traditional type clothing. Yeah, my brother has a Filson waterfowler sweater and he loves it. Oh, those are nice. He wears it all the time. Those suckers nice. They got that patch on the shoulder. Yep. They windproof or not? I don't know if they've got. Do they have that lining in them? I'm not sure. I've never just, worn it. I dig that uh, that Cabela's one because that same idea with that sweater, but it's got that wind shear inside of it, so you can nice. wear it dang or any temp. Nice. I just, I'm having my uh, I'm having um, girlfriend sew on a uh, a waxed canvas collar for it because I love collars because my neck I'm like either neck gaiter guy or I need like a high collar to, like put up mm-hmm. like this because I hate my neck just gets cold when I'm done. So yeah. I'm gonna have 
have her sew on like an actual like flip up collar so you can like sit outside the boat, you know, sit up in the boat and watch and have a, a collar on. So I hate wearing, I love wearing neck ears because they're warm, but I hate wearing them because they're clunky and they're, when yeah. you go shooting away and it's kind of a mess. I, I can't have stand them. Yeah. I, I can have that up just to keep that wind off then have a hat, you know, make it a tall so the collar don't be like way up to here on me. So it comes right over where your hat hits so you don't have any like in between there. Mm-hmm. We get enough days where it's freaking cold that like I got, I'm, it, for as much as I hunt in cold weather and I'm probably one of the, I mean, I've hunted on days when most guys won't be out on the river and I'll, I've really never had the weather stop me, but yet I'm like the biggest cold baby in the world. And like, <laughs> I got more clothing and like when I walk into work on a day, cold day at work, I come in with this big, huge puffy down jacket, hat, gloves, <laughs> and like, like girls are walking in with like a little skinny North Face jacket. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, it's cold out. I have the clothing to wear. I'm wearing it. Yeah, dude, I'm a, I would rather be cold. I'd rather be cold than be bulky when I'm hunting and not when I'm hunting. You know, I just can't stand being bulky and, uh, hate it. I've got, I'm not, sorry, reason, reason why you build a big fancy blind like I got, you sit inside with a sweatshirt on, keep the heaters rolling, pop out the shoot real quick and get back down. That's nice, dude. Except for when you're driving that thing, you're just like yeah. in it. It's funny because I'm like, it's actually not bad. Like I'm the only guy that gets cold because my buddies can sit all down below. Mm-hmm. So like I took my boss out here a few weeks ago and it was rugged. It was probably a month ago and it was like 15 degrees. We're on a lake and it was like 25 mile winds and we were on the, it was like a, probably four mile boat ride straight into the wind or just like quartering into the wind. So it was rough and it was in the dark and waves and I'm up there at water splashing, but I stay pretty dry with the build of that boat. Me being way up front and having those walls up at the front where the decoys are, it kind of knocks any spray down, mm-hmm. but I'm up there getting beat up and cold and splash and get there and my cheeks are all red and, the, and him and the other guy are sitting in the back and, and he's like, well, that was a nice ride. You stayed pretty warm down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I can't. Actually, the one guy rode with me, he was navigating a little bit. So, but yeah, like it's toasty. But for the most part, if I can tuck down, I can kind of get out of the wind a little bit. But yeah, that's the, the one thing. I always just bring a big overcoat. I have like a size like XL uh, Duck Commander jacket I had from years ago. Mm-hmm. The thing is huge on me, but I can wear it over all my other clothes. Zip that sucker up. I don't even wear goggles. I got ski goggles I'll throw mm-hmm. on. Throw them on and then just go. Dude, that's the thing is like um, we were – that's what gets you is your eyes, man. Your eyes and your hands. Like, Because yep. I, I hate I hate wearing gloves too. Like because my hands will sweat inside of the gloves. And so yep. like it doesn't really do much for me. But like we've got this, um, this one hole that's like, I don't know, probably like a 40-minute four-wheeler ride from yep. where our trailer is. And – when all that shit was freezing over, my brother and I were running pumps throughout the night and yeah. the day to try to keep the hole open. And, um, so we were, you would just cruise. You have to take a four wheeler. You can't, you, you yeah. take it on the road for a while. You do like 30 miles on that fucking four wheeler. Oh, it's the windshield on that thing. Yeah. Oof. We don't have a windshield it's on it. Big, huge <laughs> difference. Um, that was, let me guess, your thumb was frozen from driving a four-wheeler. Yeah, my thumb was frozen. I get that. I get that a bunch. I thought they plowing snow with the four-wheeler. Just thumb was just a bicycle at that time I got done. Yeah. And you, yeah, there's like, there's no way around like 
some some cold stuff you just can't avoid. I get it right here, right in between my eyes, because like, you can pull your hat down to here, and you can pull your neck gator up to here, but you got that little bit. You get there and just like there's this like dead spot right in the middle of your forehead that you can't get around. I don't even own a neck gator, so I just like roll without a neck gator. I put my hood on. Oh yeah. And uh, and just pull my hat down and just kind of try Good to get go. down. Dude, and I can't like that's the other shitty part for me is like I've got such bad shooters ear. Like I I've got maybe thirty percent hearing out of my left ear. Oof. And uh, so I can't wear a hood like when I'm hunting. Probably I can't hear anything. I, I can't hear anything. And I've got um I've got those like three M earplugs. Yeah. That like amplify and then stop. Yeah. But the problem with wearing those is that you sound when you're calling. It's not- like oh, it drive me nuts. When you're calling, it sounds so weird, dude. You like you, can't... you hear it inside your head. Yeah, and it's like, but it's like a different um, octave. It's the yeah. octaves aren't quite right, yeah. so you're like, what am I blowing right now? Yeah. And so like you almost don't want to have the earplugs in. So I'm like playing this game. If birds are working, I'm like sliding an earplug into my left ear because I don't want to lose the rest of my hearing. Oh no, <laughs> that like... drive me nuts. Dude, it's uh, bad, man. Like, all of it is from shooting. All of that. I mean, I had bad, e- like, you know, ear infections growing up, but I've just been around so many guns going off right next to my ear. That deal, that's a killer. I'm pretty, pretty picky, like, with who we hunt with, because there's a I mean, you get muzzle blasted a few times, and you're done. I mean, it wouldn't yeah. take much. And I've had it, I've had it a few times. And I'm sure I've gotten people, but we're pretty careful about it. And we usually hunt like three people, anyways. And kind of the reason that I keep my boat to three people is we've got a hole, and we've got a metal piece that goes in between us that's covered. That's probably it's two feet wide. So the closest you're going to be to someone is two feet away. Then the next person is perfect for that. So like unless a bird was way up on top and way over, which we really don't shoot at that very much, anyways, it's almost impossible for us to ring each other. But there's yeah. nothing that ruins your day like getting run like that and then your whole like the whole rest of the day you're sitting there you've got just like that constant like buzz in your head yeah. and your headache and you're pissed off and you want to be pissed at your buddy but he didn't try to do it and yeah just, it's all around and then, like no one, a lot of people don't even get that like it hurts like people don't, don't even like think that it hurts yeah like, nuts man it hurts bad there's and i hunt in the middle so my brother's left-handed he hunts the right side then Scott always hunts the left side because he just wants to. And yep. uh, so I get stuck in the middle, and Scott, this dude rings me almost <laughs> every single time. You know, uh-huh. it's like he doesn't even get it. But he's a good shot. He usually hits what he's shooting at. So it's like, oh. you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's worth my hearing loss. I have to give him a quick snap, I think, and say, dude, it's enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. It's tough, but it is what it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, man. Well, oh, did I lose you again? No, you're back. All right. Yeah. So you're, you're, oh. you're done with duck season, huh? Um, we're going to make a trip somewhere, I think, in January. I don't, we don't know where yet. Looks like the weather's kind of starting to get right for some Arkansas stuff for some water. Yeah. So we're keeping our eye on that. Talking about Montana. If the weather, if it stays warm enough out there, we might do that. That's a seven bird limit, seven mallard limit. So that's pretty appealing. Yep. Um, 
kind of talking Oklahoma. We were, we've been talking Oklahoma. We were there years ago. It's anywhere with open water right now is the thing. I mean, I was looking at Kansas, but they're froze up for the most part, I think. Everything I've heard, they're froze up, other than some little rivers. Did that dude from freelance duck hunting ever give you a call? No. No? Yeah. About that. Huh? That was it. Yeah, public land. Was it public land hunters or free? Yeah, something like that. Freelance he never did. duck hunting. He's uh, he's got a massive YouTube channel. Um, but he was having issues with brushing his boat, and I was I told him to call you because you seem to have a pretty good system for it. Yeah. No, I. You know, God, did he? Did he maybe send me a message or something? I don't remember now. But yeah, I don't think he never called me or anything. So. Uh, well. Yeah, I obviously like to talk about duck boats. So. Yeah, I figured. I was like, I promise you, this dude's gonna be pumped to talk to you about it. So. <laughs> My buddies last year, like last year this time when we were finishing up duck season, I had like between like November first and December twentieth when our duck season pretty much ended, I probably had like a half dozen different boats that I was gonna buy and gonna build different blinds. I was gonna do this. And I was gonna do that. And, and I think they were just like, whatever. You're not doing any of it. You've changed your mind six times in the past three weeks. You're not going to do any of it, so I think they're probably sick of it and just glad to have seen me build one finally. So. <laughs> well, it was nonstop. I'm, like, I'm, I'm building a, a low-low. I'm building a high-low. I'm building a collapsible on one side and this and that. And I'm going to get a 20-footer. No, I'm going to get an 18-footer. No, I'm going to get this. I mean, it was just back and forth. And I was seeing different things and looking online for every kind of boat and reading what people liked and talking to everybody. And so I'm, now I'm done for a while, for a couple of years at least. So There you go. Well, I think you uh... – you built a masterpiece from what I can tell. I mean, that boat just looks sweet. You got the cool thing about the boat is the storage situation too. Like you've got your, your bins for decoys. Like, I mean, you've got that, you put a ton of thought into that thing. Well, like I, what I did was I've, you know, I've hunted enough out of, and I've hunted big water. I've hunted little water. I hunt with collapsible blinds. I've hunted with some semi-permanent blinds. And then I, I looked at some of the other guys that were making blinds like I wanted I'm like, you know what? They're cool, and but like the decoys would just be a disaster in them, and they are like, I mean, I couldn't imagine taking a hundred duck decoys and having to carry them inside the blind every time you want to set up. Like that would suck. So I built mine all on the front outside, and you can work all of them from the water or from out, from above if you want, however you want to do it. You can put them away up above, like in the from the water, or you can pull them out from when you're in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, like, the part that I'm most proud of, that and the ladder. <laughs> the ladder? It's so funny, but, like, my ladder kicks ass. Like, every ladder that you buy online, you know, is to- or, or, like, from a company, is pure junk. Like, they're narrow or they're too short. The dogs can never get on them, like, or, like, for people that are paying the ass. Whereas this one, like, that I built, son of a bitch, like, I mean, you can take, like, a 300-pound, 350-pound guy and get in the boat with no problem because it goes down in the water, like, that far bigger than my screen shows, but mm-hmm. it goes out in the water probably a foot and a half. So like for us, we can be in water like damn near the top of your waders, and you just put your knee on it, pop yourself up, and go. Nice. Or the dog, the dogs swim right in. Like we don't even have to like you know every other dog ladder, you have to get over and get out and grab the dog and pull them up by a collar and stretch their neck and just pain in the ass. Right. But these the dogs just zip zip right in, zip right in like it's nothing, you know. Nice. So all I got to do is take the duck out of the dog's hand, throw it in the boat, and they shake off, and they're good to go again. That's awesome, man. So that that and that storage, I I know, I'm I'm pretty keen on it. I got a couple guys who actually want me to build them some. So my <laughs> like side project for my uh, February, March, and April months, maybe summer again too. So 
Well, start sh start shooting your bow a whole lot, and let's go elk hunting. Dude, I got to do that. I haven't touched. The oh, last time I shot my bow was the one that killed my elk. <laughs> really, dude? You got to shoot that thing every day, man. Uh, oh, I'm terrible. I'm like the funny thing is like I don't like archery. Like I don't like I don't like shooting bows. I like the opportunities that archery gives me, and that like it presents you with the opportunity to get close to elk, and you get to elk shoot elk in a cool time right. where the season you they're not doing the same thing you're not calling them in you're not doing any of that you're just out shooting right or archery you're actually hunting right so, you don't like I, shooting it, your bow i'm obsessed dude, with it man like, i'm not even like a gun shooter i'm not even like a gun guy like if i didn't like hunt ducks like i probably own a gun yeah I'm totally like i don't like the same thing with my gun like my shotgun i'll probably put it away here say i say i go hunting in january i'll shoot it in january I'll put that same. I'll pull it out, put it away. Turkey season won't touch it all summer again until duck season. I just I don't even like shoot clays or nothing. Really, I just shoot birds. I mean, I'll probably maybe oh, hell. I think in the last probably six years, I think I shot clays like once. Yeah, and that was my buddy's uh, bachelor party this past year. <laughs> so, like yeah, that was the only time I shot clays in a long time. I like I like shooting clays um, to get me out of the house, like before like. That dull, that dull period between, like, where fly fishing is good, like, right in the early winter, and then it's, or in the, like, you know, that March time, April time, and then the, then the streams just start getting hammered, and so you pull off a little bit, and then it's like, you got to get out of the house, you know, yeah, so I'll go shoot clays, but, man, I am obsessed with archery because it's something i can just walk i don't even own a rifle i'm like i don't either I've, I've shot a rifle like four times in my my life more than that but i don't like i'm not into it my brother's all into it scott's into it and they're they're trying to convince me to buy a rifle and i probably will you know but man i'm just, the same way just going out and shooting your bow in your backyard it's like it's such a it's such an incredible hobby because it's an incredibly deep rabbit hole. Like there's all the gear that you can mess around with it. There's it's just a like total mental game too. The mental game, yeah, dude. That's my I, I don't I shouldn't say I dislike shooting it, but I don't like get jacked up to do it. I like when I was like when I was really getting ready, like right before my hunt, like especially like three weeks before my hunt, when I was getting broadhead sighted in and had and I was having some problems with broadheads, I'm like, oh man, I got a mess. Yeah. And then I, mean, I, I was shooting a ton. And like, and then I got it dialed, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm super happy. Shot yeah. a few more times. And then I just barely shot it for the last, like, two weeks. Like, I don't want to mess with anything. I'm just going to shoot a couple a day just mm -hmm. to you know, make sure I got everything right. I don't want to do it so I get pissed off and lose my confidence. Right. Yeah, ever since I shot it, it actually is still sitting in the damn case. Oh, man. Yeah. Pull that thing. Oh, well, it's too cold for you out there. Yeah, like, yeah. Like from like November on, you're like where there's it's not really archery time. Basically, I could probably shoot in my garage a little bit, but yeah, you, know, like, you got to like 35, so I could probably shoot somewhat. But I had other stuff I was doing, so it's in the 70s here, right? Or I don't know, oh. mid 60s here right now. Man, like we were warm today. It was 35. That was pretty warm. So I thought that I thought that was toasty. Dude, you got to get out there and. Yeah. Shit, we had, what was it? It was right after, right before Christmas? Right before Christmas, we had that 25 degree below zero day. And then I went hunting a couple days later, and it was like 45 degrees. 
And we were thinking about it. That's a 70 degree difference in two days. <laughs> I mean, just think of it like in a normal place. If that happened, you know, it'd be like 140 degrees where you are now. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, dude. That's that same cold front that locked everything yeah. up we had. And then, yeah, it was right back into the mid 60s. And that's, I hate that. There's nothing worse than getting cold, having ice, and then you get warm again. Because yeah. everything has kind of found like their big refuge. They've been wadded up, and then it's tough, and they don't like to spread. Like for at least for us, they don't spread back out. Our ducks are. Our, it's one thing that's really weird to me about ducks here versus ducks in the south. Like our ducks don't move around much. Like once, once they've found a lake, like unless they get super pressured off of that, mm-hmm. they're gonna stay on that lake forever. And like if it say it got warm, say it got to eighty degrees in South Dakota in november like they're not gonna go back to north dakota yeah and then but if it got cold they'll move down it seems like it's an imaginary line it must be like kansas oklahoma southern missouri arkansas where those suckers will like float back and forth by the week or the day depending on the weather yeah At least that sounds like like we were like the other year we hunted arkansas we hunted uh it was donaldson and there was like hardly any ducks there like the week or two before we went and then all of a sudden like the week we were there, there was like you know a few hundred thousand or whatever it was, something really? crazy. And then and then they came back because they came back from the south because it yeah warmed up. And so they all bailed us, and then they came back north again. Like we would we would never see birds come back from Nebraska to us unless in February. I've done yeah. that. We shot we shot geese in February that were migrating back up, but yeah. we never see it during like the regular fall time. Did it's uh. I just don't know. Like, I know the uh, guys in Louisiana are a little worried that they're going to lose their ducks. You know that they're going to they're going to move back up north a little bit, which would be good for us. Um, yeah, for sure. But I don't know. No. I can't even. I can't even. I can't even. You know, uh, we had Houston Havens, who's the director of the waterfowl program for Mississippi, on on the podcast. And he is saying that the research that they are looking at now really is indicative that the idea of like a large migration is like not necessarily right. That like different family groups of ducks, you know, and this could be much more narrow, you know, like molecular, they kind of form their own habits. So like, some mm-hmm. ducks are just going to cruise to where they're going and then some ducks yep. are going to bounce around and like there's no one size fits all to like really explain their with that. Yeah. We, um we always talk about calendar birds like just ducks that are just going to move based on the time of year no matter if it's 10 degrees or 70 degrees. And this like this year was a year that I proved to myself and my, my buddies we all we said calendar birds, the calendar mallards absolutely exist <clears throat> because all of a sudden like November 1st hit and we just had a little bit of a north wind and it wasn't even cold. It was like 50 or something like that. We had a good north wind and boom, some mallards showed up. Right. And it wasn't like this big and like a lot of people didn't think anything would happen because it wasn't cold and it wasn't snow and everybody thinks, you know, like North Dakota needs to freeze up before we get ducks. And that's, I mean, for us to get the big mobs. That's probably what it takes. But we had huntable birds all of a sudden just from a north wind in early November. Well, then we had crazy storm in mid-November 
like right after I got on hunting my, my little so my little trip out west by myself, I got home and like the next day were cold. And all of a sudden we were like, holy crap, it's gonna be on, the river is gonna be full, it's gonna be loaded, and nothing happened. Yeah. So we're like, well, what the hell? And I know some birds went past us and we had a little trickle, but I mean it was like it was cold, it was single digits and huge north winds. And nothing happened. We just never really saw any migration. But then all of a sudden, a few days later, like every night after that, it stayed cold. And there was just light north winds. And every night I'd leave work at 10 o'clock at night. And you'd hear Canada's going over. And you'd hear snow's going over every night for two weeks. Hmm. Those birds were just moving. A year and a little bit of a north wind. So it didn't take like this big, massive event to move them. It took that to move the big mob and really like clean us out and clean North Dakota out, but it didn't take that to get huntable numbers around some. Right. I, I'm always, like, trying to read off my migrations and talk to people. And there's another guy. You probably know Ryan Askren. Yeah, I know um, who he is. I don't know him. I don't. I We've chatted a few times, and I've always, I'm like, I know he does, like, like um, biology-type stuff, or not biology, ecology mm-hmm. of ducks. And so... I'm like picking his brain about different things. I'm like just trying to learn like as much as he possibly can and read about migrations and what it takes. And that kind of stuff is just freaking interesting to me just to know like what goes through a duck's head and what makes them do what they do. So see, I, I think I kind of think once they get pushed out of like your region, the, the, in the nesting region in general, like there are birds that are going to kind of stop along the way. And then there are birds that are just going to book it all they have the a destination. way. Yeah, they've got a destination. Uh, Lake Ashbaugh. They're going to Rend Lake and to Real Foot. Somewhere they're going to those spots. Right. That's where they're going. Or Habitat Flats nowadays. You know, that's. I mean, they're going to those places that they've now been imprinted on, and that's just where they're going. Right. It doesn't matter if the if the weather is nice underneath them for half their flight. They're on their way to that spot now. That's their next. Yeah. I think. I mean, that's. Those are the animals I just get them. I mean, like we can all, like our ducks spread out a bunch, but you can always guarantee that there's a half dozen lakes in South Dakota that in late November are going to have 20,000 ducks on them. Right. It's just always going to be that way. Those those specific lakes are always going to have them. They're big, open bodies of water, not super accessible to little boats, so people aren't messing with them a whole lot. And there's always going to be a big wads of ducks out there, and that's just where they always show up. That's where they go doesn't really matter. Even the time of year and even the weather, they're just going to be there that time of year. Hmm. So, I mean, maybe, I don't know. But that's what I've seen. Like, yeah. you know, you're never going to have, like, some random little rinky-dink slew out of the way that's never held birds for all of a sudden hold 10,000 ducks at a migration time. It's going right. to be those big key holding areas that hold them. <clears throat> yeah, so. I agree. That's the cool thing. That's the, that's the one cool thing about being on the – the private lands. I will, I'll just touch on this and then we'll probably be a good time to end it. But, um, and you can give me your feedback, but on the private land side thing that my brother and I and Scott are messing around with in our leasing and our future plans of acquiring different pieces of land, um, throughout the region is that like mm-hmm. messing around with the idea of imprinting ducks. And then, so it's like building habitat, and like not hunting that property, we're not going to, like the idea is that we're going to build this pro- these pieces of property out and we're not going to hunt them for a significant periods of time and just imprint, 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 imprint. 
And then, you know, by the time that's exactly what Tony Vandermore did. Yeah. I mean, they created that. I mean, that I don't think those ducks were really there. Yeah. Not like they are. Not like he has them now. That'd be cool. That'd be yeah. smart, especially a few of them scattered around. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, that's the, you know, I, we talk, it's funny because we talk a ton of crap about private land hunters and we yeah. are private land hunters. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And if you're into hobbies, like we are, like we're yeah. into hobbies. That's a year round yeah. hobby, man. Like you're just constantly going out, you're planning, you're screwing up crops you're learning how to do stuff better dealing with water dealing with water in that type of scenario you're not gonna just have ducks i mean no. there's thousands of potholes in the state of south dakota that probably never see a duck on them right and there's there's a five percent of them that probably see 90 percent of the duck activity right you know, depth of vegetation or cover water quality food freshwater shrimp in the lake so, I mean, you have to, especially like if you're in an area where there's other people doing the same thing, mm -hmm. I imagine, I mean, I'm sure in Mississippi, there's probably most of the hunting and most of the ducks are using private roosts or private refuges or right. whatever. So, I mean, you're competing against that to get them in there. <clears throat> yeah, it's a chess game. It's a total well, it's chess game. I've thought about doing that a bunch, but I think the problem is in South Dakota, there's just so much habitat for them that they have the opportunity. Like if I had a big had if I had 200 like flooding, not legal, like it's different. Like we don't have the same, this laws are enforced differently up here for corn mm -hmm. and flooded and nippling, all that kind of stuff. So we don't really have that option. But if you wanted to do that for one land is obscenely expensive. It's like eight grand an acre here. Right. But if uh, a guy wanted to do that, you would have like, so you say all of a sudden you have 5,000 ducks there and you hunt it three days over a two-week period, all those ducks are gone and they're just going to go sit on the next pond, private slough, you know, two miles away. You might get them trickling back into your corn or something like that if you had that scenario going. But if you just had a private average pond, yeah, nothing. You'd have, you'd, you could maybe not even shoot a duck off it all year. Right. Or if you put it under the right traffic line, all of a sudden, maybe you'd smash them. Right. So. My idea of, of owning a specific duck slough, unless it was like gigantic, would be almost pointless. Not with the land access that you guys have up there, man. I mean, you yeah. can literally just hunting private land is not as difficult up there. Yeah, it, it you, certainly isn't. You can get like, on it. You don't get laughed at, laughed at. Yeah. You you get told no, but you won't be like ah uh, no. Yeah. Absolutely. Not like, and I'm sure if you went around. Uh, Donaldson or Stuttgart or somewhere and asked, oh, I wonder if I could go hunt that uh, flooded woods you've got behind your house there. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine the look they'd be like, son. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a group of guys that have a big lease next to where our lease is. They pay $90,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. That's, I just, I just found that out. I just found that out. I was like, holy, I mean, it's a big piece of land, but Ooh, 90 grand. If I had spent 90 grand on leases in the state of South Dakota for ducks, I I would be pissed if I didn't kill a limit every day and do it in one drake at a time. I and mean, that's what it should, that's what it would be like. Yeah. I mean, I'd have places from the northern border to the southern border and the whole width of the eastern part of the state covered. And I'd have 40 to 100 acre sloughs. Everyone could be my own little refuge. Yeah. It'd be unbelievable with that. 
And I mean, my my buddy uh, in Arkansas, they they've got one field with a pit on it, and they're paying thousands. I'm sure sixteen thousand. Oh, dude, you couldn't pay. You couldn't. I couldn't. You couldn't like give me a cheap enough deal on a on a rice field to lease. Like you found me a good like Coca Cola Woods or something like that. Yeah, we'd be talking. Yeah, not like rice field. Mm-mm. No. I mean, those like, some of those like some of those like high end timber spots. I mean, they're like two, three, four million bucks for. I mean, the grand they're a couple hundred acres. Yeah, probably, probably more than that. Yeah, wow, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I would I, I would not pay that much for a rice field. No, even no. if I was guaranteed to kill them every day, like I wouldn't. <clears throat> if it was if it was woods, yeah. Right field, I'd be hard pressed. Yeah, I'd be hard pressed 103 for that matter. I Something mean, about shooting ducks out of a pit is just—I don't know—I don't dig it. Yeah, I don't really dig pit blinds either. You're just looking at the same shit every time. Yeah, for Canada's it's pretty cool. Like it's different. Like Canada's don't—they don't get in and out quite so quick. So we have a fair amount of pit blinds. South Dakota actually has a phenomenal public hunting system with pits. Hmm. Um, up around pier right in the middle of the state and it's super cool and it's super successful and people consistently kill geese out of them <clears throat> but and they're not like great pits they're decent but like a can of like isn't in and out like a mallard is right experience hunting pits up for ducks was in like illinois and it was flooded corn and it was the weirdest thing ever like i was only i was staring at like standing corn like 25 yards away from me that's all you could see except for this you can only see like up and out a little bit, and I hated it. Yeah. And the pit super deep, so you couldn't hardly shoot. And I wasn't super impressed on that. So maybe I was a little jaded, but jilted. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I definitely will hunt out of a pit when the time calls for it, for sure. But that's just you know, not my favorite way to hunt. It's just no. not. Hiding um, is the hiding is on like unparalleled. I mean, you yeah. hide like something else. And they, I mean, my boat is almost a pit blind on on a on wheels and floating pit line is essentially what it is, but you get to move it and adjust it how you want and right. come out of it easier than you would a pit. Cause there's no slide tops or nothing like that. So yeah, but hiding is like that. So all right, man. Well, cool. I'll let you go, dude. Thanks for, I'm glad we finally got you back on. You know, I'm um, kind of tough uh, schedule time. Once duck hunting starts rolling, man, I just, I'm hard to get a hold of, and every day off, I'm running somewhere, and go, go, go. Plus, that was all Thanksgiving baloney for retail health, so I was dealing with that baloney, and (laughs) kind of past past that part now, at least. Yeah, that's good, dude. Uh, We were, we haven't released a podcast in three weeks. I've been getting messages like, "Did you guys stop doing podcasts?" And I'm like, "Oh man, it's hunting season. I ain't got time." Us and the people we want to talk to are busy. Yes, exactly. Hell. Cool. I'm glad we got together. Yeah, man. I am too. And uh, let's stay in touch and talk about some elk hunting stuff. I keep losing you. Cutting out again. Yeah. I was going to say, let's let's stay in touch and talk about elk hunting and maybe we can make something work. I would be cool with that. That'd be fun. All right. Cool, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you too, buddy. Catch you later. See you.